0: Greetings and welcome to HPNA's Podcast Corner, Episode 19 Palliative Nursing Acute to Post Acute Transitions in Care Challenges and Opportunities. This episode of HPNA's Podcast Corner welcomes guest Jennifer Gentry. Dr. Gentry is a nurse practitioner with the Duke University Palliative Care Consult Service, faculty at the Duke University School of Nursing, and a member of the Duke University Hospital Ethics Committee. Prior to her current role, she provided medical care for frail, older adults in acute community and skilled nursing facility settings. Dr. Gentry is a recipient of the HPNA Distinguished Nursing Practice Award, the ONS Foundation End of Life Career Development Award, the North Carolina Great 100 Nurses, the 2012 Advanced Certified Hospice and Palliative Nurse of the Year and the Friends of Nursing Award for Nursing Mentorship. Dr. Gentry is an active member of HPNA and was a board president in 2014 and has served on multiple chapters and committees. Through her work with HPNA, the National Coalition for Hospice and Palliative Care, the Hospice and Palliative Nurses Foundation, and the Alliance for Excellence in Hospice and Palliative Nursing, Dr. Gentry has been a tireless advocate for hospice and palliative nursing and advanced nursing practice. This episode addresses the importance of transitions in care for patients with serious illness and their families, challenges encountered during transitions, at-risk patient populations, and how to best address the challenges and barriers encountered. On that note, I would like to welcome Dr. Jennifer Gentry.
1: Thank you, Maria. It is um, really a, a privilege and an honor to be here and to be part of this um, uh, podcast today. I really appreciate it. You're
0: welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about your role uh, in work, as you worked with uh, geriatric patients? Yes.
1: Uh, you know, I'm Currently, as you mentioned, a nurse practitioner working on the inpatient side, but um, uh, I've always loved working with older adults. And in fact, in my initial uh, palliative care, or excuse me, in my initial training as a nurse practitioner, as an adult nurse practitioner with a a focus on geriatrics. And so that was really something that I've been doing for the past uh, 30 years. Um, or close to it, and really enjoy that particular population in my current role as well.
0: Since we are discussing transitions in care, how did you transition into palliative nursing and your involvement with HPNA?
1: You know, I've been a nurse um, since 1984, so um, and early in my career, uh, it was really the height of the AIDS epidemic. And there were so many uh, patients that I encountered that were in need of compassion, in need of um, expert symptom management and nursing care um, during serious illness and at the end of life. And so even before I had a name uh, for palliative care, I really knew that this was what I was called to do. And I think at the same time, on a personal note, I, I had two very sudden and tragic personal losses. And my experience with that, as well as in my professional life, really um, defined my career path at that point. So for me, uh, returning to school, becoming a nurse practitioner, that was the right thing to do in the right time. And before I knew it, um, after graduation, I was dividing my time between, I was actually serving as a hospitalist part of the time, focusing on caring for hospitalized older adults and specifically patients that maybe had been admitted from uh, a nursing home. And um, and in the afternoon, I would um, spend the rest of my time uh, at the long-term care facility and providing primary care for these older adults. Um, The other interesting aspect Uh, to this was that I also went out to people's homes. There were many patients that just could not get into an office. It would require an ambulance journey and just all of the stress on that patient and that family. And then, um, you know, so I'd actually go out to their home and do community visits for the uh, internal medicine practice that I was working for. So I was really able to very early in my career promote some transitions and care because I was discharging patients back to the nursing home in the morning and then in the afternoon I would admit them to the facility. So I was able to do a lot of medication reconciliation by having that um, coordinated effort. So the other thing is in my facility, uh, I began to work with a community hospice organization and learned so much about palliative care and symptom management. From them, and you know, probably up to ten percent of the patients I was caring for actually were admitted to hospice. So really saw the synergy between all of the specialties, and um, you know, just knew that that was the that was the career path I should take. I had the opportunity to move back into the acute care setting at a point after that, and um, recognize that HPNA was the organization to support palliative nurses. And I was impressed with the the staff and the number the of volunteers and what encouragement and mentoring that I was able to receive. And because of that, you know, started a local chapter, began to sort of dip my toes and thinking, yeah, I can be a letter, a leader. I'm at the bedside and um, but, you know, I'm a clinician, but yeah, there's leadership opportunities for me. So I think um, the rest is, is really history. But that, that is a bit about how I got into my involvement with HPNA and my um, career path into palliative nursing.
0: Thank you for that. I'm sorry to hear about your losses. I too was a nurse during the AIDS epidemic in New York City, so I can relate to the fact that uh, there was no name for palliative care at the time, but it was what we did uh, to care for these patients during during their hardships. Why do you think transitions in care is such an important topic?
1: I think transitions in care, it's really um, a core competency that we facilitate that as palliative nurses Uh, You know, sort of the the CMS, um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, really defines a transition as the movement of a patient from one setting of care to another. Um, So many settings of care, which might include the acute care setting in the hospital, home, um, a primary care office practice, long-term care facilities, rehab facilities, to name a few. I think the other transition to care that maybe CMS doesn't define, but as a palliative nurse, I would include is that we help patients um, transition from one point in their care throughout their trajectory of illness, that their goals may evolve, um, their needs may evolve. And so there's a lot of transitions embedded within our care of patients at whatever point that we intersect with them in their healthcare journey. And we know that transition points in the care patients are a particularly vulnerable time. They put patients at risk for medical errors, uh, clinical errors that can happen. And, you know, sometimes patients essentially fall through the cracks and they and their caregivers um, may have some increased mistrust of the healthcare system as a result and clearly have much worse clinical outcomes. Um, when there's these types of issues that come up, so uh, patients with poor transitions in care um, are at higher risk for readmission, which is clearly a marker of quality of care and a major driver of healthcare costs. Um, you know, in our HPNA position statement, which is uh, focused on assuring high quality in hospice and palliative care, it's noted that nurses are really essential in supporting high-quality care and seamless transitions. It's nurses, and they're very keen and skilled assessment skills that allow them to sometimes recognize first and best the areas that need to be addressed in um, these vulnerable points for patients and their families. So, for example, a hospital-based palliative care nurse assesses a potential lack of um, understanding Um, and knowledge about services and expectations um, for the patient that's going to be discharged with home hospice, for example, and may recognize this and um, sort of gather the troops and the interdisciplinary team to try and get everybody on the same page. And, you know, the other uh, place might be a hospice nurse that identifies the need Um, that wasn't identified in the hospital, that patient gets home, it doesn't have everything that they need. They don't uh, maybe have the appropriate symptom meds that nobody sort of anticipated that they would need, or even equipment, Uh, or maybe there are caregiver limitations. The caregiver was so overwhelmed when they were getting all the information to the hospital that they didn't even know what they didn't know. And so the hospice nurse in the home is the, maybe the first to recognize this and intervene and take steps to bring in other team members to make sure that that patient gets the things that they need. Okay, thank you.
0: Um, well, you just talked about some of the challenges that you've seen and experienced and, and obviously affect uh, patient quality of care and their ability to uh, get better at home or uh, go through palliative care and hospice services seamlessly, if we can uh, say that. Which patients do you feel are at most risk for problems with transitions in care? Yeah,
1: I think there's, um a number of patients, I think all patients, just by nature of um, having a transition to care, that's a very vulnerable point um, for them. So I think, you know, in general, just any transition point in care. But yeah, there's, there's certain, um, certain groups that, uh, definitely groups that are associated with health disparities. Uh, For example, where there's social risk factors such as unstable housing, uh, serious persistent mental health um, conditions, functional limitations, cognitively impaired patients, uh, frail older adults, uh, patients where there's a lot of symptom distress or there's an exhausted caregiver, um, patients with multi-morbidity, and there's numerous... Um, serious illnesses sort of competing against one another. Um, But definitely patients um, from sort of historically socially disadvantaged groups and um, certain minority populations, definitely all are at risk um, for some of these uh, transition points and and not getting the care that they really need and deserve. Absolutely. How do you address these
0: challenges in in your role when you were working with geriatric patients?
1: Yeah, I think um, just to to go back to one really key issues um, that to address that, we really have to call it what it is and identify it, that I think the poor and the missed opportunities for good communication are really at the heart many problems that come up with care transitions. Um, Again, just, you know, particularly patient groups, as I just mentioned, that are at very high risk for problems in transitions. Um, You know, maybe patients who don't have English is not their primary language. And, um, you know, where there's cultural influences at play, all of those factors impact our communication. And I think that really um, lies at the very heart of the problem. And, and I find one of the greatest challenges. So I think as, as palliative nurses, excellent communication is something that is an essential competency and it can really go far to decrease risks that are associated with these care transitions. Um, you know, can we do a better job with handoffs between colleagues? Uh, when there's multiple teams, I work in an academic medical center and, you know, one patient may have eight different consulting services and they all focus on their particular specialty area. There's particular part of the, um, part of the body, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just, um, you know, I, I'm sure that many of my colleagues who might be listening to this, um, have heard, um, you know, the maybe, and I'm not not picking on anyone in particular, but somebody who uh, might specialize in nephrology, and they are sort of focused on the creatinine and the BUN numbers, and and today they're a little better than they were the day before, but but the bigger picture of the patient says this patient really is very seriously ill, and despite those numbers. Um that there are still issues. So you know it's it's no wonder that there's not more uh, problems with transitions based on on um, any number of opportunities for poor communication. So I think um, you know, focusing on making sure that we're doing the best job. Um, so I really use um, my skills as palliative nurse um, in assessment and communication skills to really try and facilitate, first of all, Care that's goal concordant. So, what do patients want? What do they understand? What do they expect? What What do they want? What's important to them? And that's that has to be the place we start, because all of the other planning is for naught if we don't understand what the patient's goals are. Um, so, having a good understanding, and you know, uh, we take care of patients and families as the unit of care. So. Maybe the patient and the family aren't on the same page. Maybe they're not on the same page with the provider Um, expectations, you know, uh, particularly in my background with older adults and in care facilities, um, so much heightened by the visitation limitations that we're now enduring with COVID. Um, You know, know, a, a lot of times I've heard a family member say, my dad told me he never wanted to go to a nursing home you know, and that's really hard when that family member cannot care for that loved one at home realistically. Um, So trying to get everybody on the same page on having the most um, realistic expectations, trying to understand, and, you know, are there resources out there that haven't been identified? How can we bring in other members of the team? So I say, first, good communication. Second, um, you know, another core skill that, palliative nurses have is being a good educator. Um, that's, we do teaching all the time. We do it without even realizing and thinking about what we're doing. Um, so helping people, um, understand what to expect, what might, uh, lie ahead. And I know in my practice, we're very blessed. We have a nurse navigator that's part of our team. And, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, he is wonderful about using multiple forms of communication, whether that's secure chat, secure email, um, just picking up the phone and making a, a phone call uh, to make sure that people get their clinic appointment, that they remember that, that you know, setting up the now the telehealth appointments. Um, so I think, you know, working um, in sync with our team and making sure that um, everyone's on the same page. and. My role in acute care. One of one of my jobs is to facilitate a family meeting, and mm-hmm. so a family meeting is really maybe we don't think about that when we think about transitions in care, but that's actually a a pretty important piece of that where they're. Um, you work in the home setting, whether you work in an office setting or in a long-term care setting. There's there's always time and a place for a family meeting, um, not just those of us that work in the hospital. And just stepping back and saying, "Whoa, let's who needs to be here." Um, you know, how can we get people? Uh, we're pretty good at doing Zoom and conference calls these days um, to to facilitate. Uh, communication. So I think those are things that any one of us can do that will ultimately impact um, having better, uh, more seamless transitions in care. I, I think another another aspect of what we do is, uh, for instance, uh, when someone, for uh, example, whose English is not their primary language, making sure that we're not using family members for, um, you know, to interpret for us that we have have. The appropriate medical interpreter, um, that we're not using a lot of medical jargon, that we think about people that need multiple forms of communication, whether it's not just verbal, but it's written communication um, that we can provide to them. And, you know, whether they can do a teach back or a return demonstration of the things that we're trying um, to get a, across. I think another thing that I have done in my uh, practice to facilitate better tra- um transitions and cares to really leverage established relationships. So when I see people in the hospital, I'm a stranger to them, I, you know, I have to develop rapport fairly quickly, but yet I'm not the person that they know, um, have known the longest and know the best. So who is it? And I, one of the common questions I will ask patients and families is what provider, um, who knows you the best? Who do you know the best? And you know, if it's possible, I found that most providers are very generous and saying, yeah, let me make a phone call. Let me talk to them. Um, maybe I can even come in and do this in person. Uh, so I think, um, you know, pick up the phone and call. If that patient is from a long-term care facility, there's nothing um, nothing to say that a five-minute phone call to a facility to talk to um, the staff there that know a patient um, over time and would recognize when I might not meeting that patient for the first time, you know, that there are complications going on. So, you know, there's there's no substitute for picking up the phone and having a phone call. Um, I think one other thing that I've learned in facilitating the transitions is anticipatory guidance. Um, you know, based on the patient's goals, based on their diagnosis, their current symptoms, their disease trajectory, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the thing they're worried about um, the most? Based on what all of that data, you know, what's my best educated guess, if you will, about what symptoms um, or needs are gonna need to be anticipated? Um, You know, we can't plan for every eventuality, Um, But would I choose to be over-prepared, over-under-prepared? Yeah, I'd rather be over-prepared and think about things, even if they never come to pass. We'll all be happy about that. Um, I'm sure my hospice colleagues could cite numerous examples of patients that have returned to the hospital, even um, knowing that they had that hospice agency to call and that staff there to support them, but in a moment of panic and maybe symptom distress called 911 instead. So, you know, this is not to lay blame on anyone. You know, sometimes we can, you know, we can cross all our T's and dot all our I's and do everything right. And and sometimes those outcomes still happen and it's not anyone's fault. Um, I think that, you know, certainly COVID, you know, has complicated transitions further. For instance, leaving the hospital, going to a rehab facility or a long-term care facility, where that family can't be there to advocate for their loved one, and we we've seen disastrous outcomes as a result. So I think you know that's that's a challenge I haven't completely figured out how to overcome, and just bigger than 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 me.
0: Understood. In a recent article that I read by Meeker et al, uh, that was written in 2019, uh, they stated that there was a larger focus on end of life or hospice services rather than palliative care early in the disease trajectory. Have you found that
1: in in
0: your practice?
1: Um, You know, I think it's certainly has been brought up in conversation much earlier, Um, you know, and it's definitely impacted people's decision-making. So um, if sort of acknowledging um, really that someone is approaching the end of life and rather than thinking, oh, let's try a little PT or OT, um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but people are knowing that, that they might go to a setting where they. Have no control over the rules, and being able to visit that loved one and thinking about them dying alone potentially. Yeah, I have seen definitely seen um, that different decisions have made made because of COVID and because of that. Yes. Yeah. Do you? And you
0: mentioned uh, digital technology. Do you find? Did you? Are you finding that that has actually improved communication? Particularly with patients who are uh, transitioning into different uh, services,
1: I think that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> I think I think under out of necessity that we have been leveraging the technology, and in many cases, that is super helpful. So um, I'm thinking about my patients with um, complicated mobility issues, and mm-hmm. maybe because where I work we're in academics setting and we have patients that may live in a rural area and it's really hard for them to get into the clinic for example so um, they've gotten a palliative care consult while they're in the hospital my clinic colleagues are like okay great we're comfortable with just meeting them um, by video call and that's been a really good thing and it's increased our volumes substantially Um, you know, so that's, that's been a good thing. I think the, the, the hard thing is that, um, you know, you can't reach over the phone, you can't reach over the video call and, and have that physical contact and, you know, COVID's limited that anyways, but, you know, my, my natural inclination, you know, somebody's having an emotional response to something, um, you know, I. I want to f- visibly, physically reach out to them, and and that's not possible. Um, I think it has caused us to it's challenged our communication skills because especially when there's not even video and we're just on the phone. How do you recognize that emotion on the other end? Um, how do you how do you respond to that emotion um, empathically? Um, so that I think you have to really pick up on on you know, we can't see them, so we can't assess that nonverbal communication, but we still have to be able to recognize the cues that folks are giving us even that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Particularly as you mentioned in in, uh, rural areas where they may not have access to internet services, um, it makes it all the harder to provide those services that are so desperately needed. So what are some of your take-home points for our members in terms of uh, addressing transitions in care and and hopefully
1: improving those outcomes? I think that hospice and palliative nurses really have a crucial role in promoting effective transitions. Um, by, first of all, using all of our core competencies that we possess, um, really emphasizing good communication, um, that we really use the nursing process. We assess, we plan, we implement, and we evaluate these transition points and really being able to proactively identify barriers. So it's all of our responsibility wherever we intersect with patients. And you know, just remember a five minute phone call um, could be a huge investment of five minutes um, in the care of that patient and preventing problems down the line. Uh, we really want to engage patients and families as partners in their healthcare, um, exploring, you know, expectations, uh, being able to identify and leverage resources that you have in your local area. Um, and there's, we know there's very different. Resources depending on where you are geographically. Um, So, being able to identify and leverage those, I would say, early identification of goals of care and how this impacts um, next steps and the entire planning process, and doing whatever it takes to communicate the plan to that next level of care. Um, You know, maybe we're not the case manager, maybe we're not someone in a more formal role around care transitions, but we all have a role to play, and again, a simple phone call, a listening ear can make all the difference in the outcomes.
0: Absolutely. Do you have anything else you'd like to discuss at this point?
1: Um, Well, I just appreciate the opportunity um, to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart, and um, I appreciate what all of you out there that may be listening to this um, due to positively impact outcomes, and um, that I know nurses are um, com- kind, compassionate, empathetic, um, but skilled, and um, that we're often good detectives and we sniff out some of the problems before anyone else on the team is. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Well,
0: we appreciate having you um, share your pearls of wisdom and your experiences with transitions and care. And again, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it, Dr. Gentry. And I hope you have a good rest of your day.